Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're going to do four parts on today's episode, but the content is essentially unchanged. In part one, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli, and we'll quickly go over the latest transfer rumors around Benevento. In part two, we'll recap the latest action in Italian football. We've decided we're only going to cover Italian football, but if you like the updates on Spain and England, just let us know and we'll bring it back. In the meantime, I'm happy to suggest a few excellent podcasts. In part three, we'll review Napoli's win in the Derby del Sole on Sunday. And in part four, we'll preview Napoli's next match, which is on Wednesday, against Genoa. Starting with the news, Rino Gattuso spoke to Sky Sports after the Roma match, where he discussed a number of different topics, including the secret to Napoli's recent success, how the team can improve, his relationship with Lorenzo Insigne, Chucky Lozano's performance of late, the squad, and the Champions League. Gattuso said, there's no secret, I am working with strong players and I need to remind them of that every now and then. I told them after the Coppa Italia, we have to talk less and do more. Many of these players will be part of the squad next season, and we have to create a winning mentality, thinking not individually, but as a team and of the team. On Insigne, Rino said that Lorenzo has the ability to take men on and can make the difference, but he needs the power in his legs to do that. He can't always play. He keeps glancing over and doesn't like being on the bench, but it's for his own good. He is very intelligent, he understands football, and gets ideas quickly when we talk in training. On Lozano, he said Lozano is incredibly quick, he's much sharper and more reactive lately, so I'm giving him some more chances. He prefers the long ball and to have space to run into, but has to work more with the team and accept the shorter passes. When he was asked what he wants to see from his squad, 
Bingo said Napoli are a squad who in recent years always faltered when they got to the next step. They were mentally weak and that is what I need to work on. They must realize that they have to improve day by day to keep getting stronger because potential is not enough. We pass it around well, but when the time comes, even Insignia has to track back and help out. Many don't like that, but they have to get over it because this is how the team has to play right now. On Lobotka, he said Stanislav Lobotka is someone who can start the game. He'll give you less balance in the midfield, but more creativity. We've got strength and depth and different options we can look to in order to play the kind of football we want. Finally, on the Champions League, Gattuso said, I don't even know if we'll get to August 7th. I'm focused on everything but that right now. I just want to get better game by game because we cannot think of gifting results to our opponents. When you hold back in the tackle and worry about the next match coming up, that is when you get it all wrong. We have to dive in every time and commit fully. And credit to Football Italia for that translation. Moving on, after Jose Callejon scored on Sunday, there has been some speculation that he may be reconsidering leaving Napoli, and that both Lorenzo Insigne and Dries Mertens are trying to convince the Spaniard to stay. After the goal, Callejon celebrated by putting his chin on his hand, which is a gesture that means keeping your head held high. Callejon's wife, Marta Ponsati Romero, got in on the action as well. She posted a picture of this Callejon celebration on Instagram, and when someone commented about the controversy, she responded, But what is this controversy for? Everyone sees what they want, but we never have a controversy, not even now. I think the best interpretation of this statement is that all the talk about Callejon leaving or staying has been generated by the media, not by Callejon or his camp. And speaking of which, the latest from Corriere dello Sport is that Callejon does want to stay, but he wants a two-year extension while the club is only willing to offer one year. For me, I love Callejon and everything he's done for this club over the last seven seasons, but he's not the player he once was, even if he does score the occasional goal, and it's time for him to move on. We'll close the news with a quick update for the Benevento fans out there. The Stragoni have been linked to a number of players, including Loic Remy, who actually visited the city, Fernando Llorente, who was previously linked to the club, Gianluca Lapadula, Daniel Sturridge, Camille Glick, Andre Schurle, and Gervinho. One thing these players all have in common is they're all old. The youngest of that bunch is Schurle, who's 29 years old. Benevento have been linked to a few younger players as well, including Parma's Alberto Grassi, who's 25, Hans Nicolusi Caviglia, who's owned by Juventus but is currently on loan at Perugia, he's only 20 years old, and Andrea Colpani, who's owned by Atalanta and is currently on loan at Trapani, and he is 21 years old. Hopefully Benevento can sign some of these younger players, as even today they have the oldest squad in Serie B, and I fear that with such an old squad, this could be another one-and-done season for them. So that's it for the news. Next, we'll recap the latest action in Italy. Okay, so let's start with the Derby de la Mole. Gigi Buffon started in goal for Juventus on the 19th anniversary of him joining Juventus. He also surpassed Paolo Maldini for most Serie A appearances with 648. It didn't take long for Juventus to find the back of the goal, 
Paulo Dybala scored his 11th on the year, his 6th in the last 7 games, and his 4th in the last 4 games. We spoke last time about how dangerous he can be if you give him time and space. Dybala had slightly less space on this goal, but he showed how he can create a shooting lane with his quick feet. Even though Juve had dominated possession, they managed to score their second goal on the counter-attack. Ronaldo rather unselfishly laid the ball off for Cuadrado, who made a quick cut to the right to open up his right foot before finishing to the far post. I thought Cuadrado was really good in this match. There are only a few players in all of football that can defend as well as he does while also being a goal-scoring threat. In the final minute of added time in the first half, Matias de Ligt was shown a yellow card for handling the ball in the box, once again called by VAR. The rule says it's a handball if the player makes himself unnaturally bigger, which is debatable on this one. It's not a penalty if the ball ricochets off another part of the player's body before hitting the hand, which is what happened here. The ball hit the Ligt's thigh first. With the yellow card, the Ligt will miss Juve's next match against Milan. Andrea Bellotti stepped up and converted the penalty. Bellotti has now scored four goals in four matches, which is the first time he's done that in his career. Ronaldo restored the two-goal lead in the 61st minute with his first free kick goal for Juventus after 43 attempts. That's his 25th of the season, which is only four shy of Ciro Immobile, who leads the race for Capocannoniere. And according to the broadcast, Ronaldo is the first Juventus player to score 25 goals in a single season since Omar Sivori did it in 1961. Paolo Dybala was shown a yellow in the 70th minute, so he too will miss the match against Milan. Kofi Gigi scored an own goal on a Douglas Costa cross in the 87th minute to make the score 4-1, which is how this one ended. For back-to-back weeks now, there's been not much to analyze after Juventus' match. This was another comfortable victory. With Juve winning, Lazio needed to beat Milan to stay in the Scudetto race. Ciro Immobile and Felipe Caicedo were both out for this match, so Simone and Zaghi lined up with a front two of Yaquin Correa and Luis Alberto. I was chatting with my good friend Jerry Mancini about this before the match. Jerry's a huge Lazio fan, and Jerry felt it would have made more sense to play Milinkovic-Savage up top instead of Luis Alberto, and I tend to agree with that. Alberto could provide quality service to Milinkovic-Savage, but not vice versa. Luis Alberto looked a bit awkward in that role, and he often dropped back into his more comfortable midfield position. For Milan, Zlatan Ibrahimovic made his first start since Serie A resumed. You could see his fitness was not quite there yet. Before the break, he was already walking around quite a bit, even when he had the ball. Alexis Salamakers made his first start of the season. I thought he had a really good match. He worked hard the entire time. He made a really nice play in the second half, sliding to save the ball from going out for a goal kick. Most players would have given up on this play, but he didn't, and it resulted in a shot on target for Frank Kessia. Lazio had the lion's share of possession in the first half, but didn't create many scoring opportunities. When Milan had the ball, they worked it around really nicely and finished their opportunities, which was really the story of this match. Milan opened the scoring in the 23rd minute on a really nice team goal that was finished by Hakan Chalonoglu. His shot took a slight deflection before dipping over Strakosha. In the 34th minute, Ibrahimovic doubled Milan's lead from the penalty spot after Stefan Radu was called for a handball in the box. Strakosha came really close to stopping the shot, but the ball deflected off the back of his leg and spun into the goal. I think Inzaghi recognized that Luis Alberto was not being used best playing out of position, so at the half he moved him back to the midfield and brought in Bobby Adincania to play up top. The change seemed to work and nearly resulted in a goal by Manuel Lazzari. Alberto took one too many touches before playing the through ball to Lazzari, who has such great pace that by the time the pass was played he was half a step offside, so his goal was overturned. With Lazio desperate to score, Milan had their opportunities on the counter-attack, and in the 59th minute, they scored a third. 
Teo Hernandez and Giacomo Bonaventura were both involved in the goal. Bonaventura was another player I thought had a great match. Rebic, who replaced Ibra at the break, did well to stay onside, and his first touch perfectly set up the shot, which he placed neatly inside the far post. That's Rebic's 10th goal in his last 14 matches and his third since Serie A returned. This one finished 3-0. We knew this was going to be a tough match for Lazio without Immobile and Caicedo, but full credit to Milan and Stefano Pioli in this one. Like I said, Milan didn't have much possession as Lazio did, but when they did, they moved the ball around beautifully and they took their chances. Milan absolutely deserved the three points and despite a disappointing draw to spell, they now have three wins and a draw since Serie A returned. Meanwhile, Lazio really struggled to create anything in this match and with that loss, their title hopes are all but over. With Juve beating Torino, Lazio are now seven points back of the leaders with eight matches remaining. Some Laziale have not given up hope. Juve's next two matches are against the Milan squad that just beat Lazio and Atalanta. As mentioned, Matias De Ligt and Paulo Dybala are suspended for that match, so theoretically Juve could concede six points between these two matches. I personally don't think that will happen. I think Juve have enough firepower to withstand those losses. They're firing on all cylinders right now and appear to be getting better and better by the match. But who knows, if Milan can somehow hold Juve to a draw and then Atalanta beat Juve, Lazio will be back in it, but that's a lot to ask for. This episode is being published on Tuesday, so by the time you hear it, we should already know the result of the Juve-Milan match. Moving on, third place Inter took on Bologna. Inter were very much in control in the first half. Bologna looked disjointed and they gave Inter a ton of space in the midfield, which made it easy for Inter's midfielders to turn and run at them. Inter opened the scoring in the 22nd minute with Lukaku scoring his 20th Serie A goal and 26th in all competitions this season. The play started with a really nice switch from Antonio Candreva on the right side of the pitch all the way across to the opposite wing to Ashley Young. Young put in a good cross while Lautaro's header went off the upright and stayed out. Fortunately for Inter, the rebound fell for Lukaku in front of an empty goal. Though Inter continued to control play in the second half, Bologna nearly equalized in the 53rd minute. After a nice little spell of possession in which Bologna completed 10 passes, Musa Barrow fired a rocket from outside the box that beat Handanovic, but not the upright. In the 57th minute, Roberto Soriano was surprisingly shown a straight red after what appeared to be a fairly innocent challenge on Roberto Gagliardini. Soriano appeared to say something to match official Luca Pairetto that he obviously didn't like. Then only a few minutes later, Inter were awarded a penalty kick after Antonio Candrevo was fouled in the box. Lautaro's penalty was really poorly taken and was stopped by Skorupski. The rebound came out to Gagliardini, but Skorupski stopped that as well. That little sequence and a double substitution by Mihailovic may have changed Bologna's fortunes for this one. Mihailovic replaced Ricardo Orsolini with Rodrigo Palacio and Nicola Sansone with Musa Juara. The red card didn't appear to affect Bologna. 18-year-old Musa Juara equalized in the 74th minute after Gagliardini completely whiffed on the clearance. Juara hit the ball hard enough that even though Handanovic got a hand on the ball, he couldn't keep it out. This is the type of save we've come to expect from Handanovic, but nonetheless, the score was 1-1. After Bologna leveled the scoreline, a few minutes later, they drew level in terms of men on the pitch. Alessandro Bastoni was shown a second yellow for a foul on Juara. I think the decision was a bit harsh, but I also felt the straight red on Ossolini was harsh as well. Bologna completed the comeback in the 80th minute on a really nice counterattack after Alexis Sanchez turned the ball over. Bologna made a couple of quick passes before Nicolas Dominguez picked up Musa Barrow's run towards the far post. No one on Inter picked up the run, so Barrow had a clear shot on goal, which he put away to give Bologna the lead. Alexis Sanchez had a few chances late in the match, 
He pulled the first one wide of the goal and the second one was stopped by Skorupski who had an excellent match. He made save after save to keep Bologna in it. This was another Pazza Inter performance that finished 2-1 for Bologna. Apparently after the match, Beppe Marotta and Antonio Conte stayed back in the dressing room for an hour talking to the players. The general consensus from the Interisti community is that there are some players on this squad that need to go, like Gagliardini, Ranocchia, D'Ambrosio, and Candreva. I thought Alex Donop did a great job breaking this one down in the latest episode of the Calcio Connection podcast, so I'll quickly summarize the points that he made. First, he was critical of Antonio Conte for waiting until the 75th minute to make his first sub and then not making another change until the 85th minute. Credit to Conte, though, for being accountable for the loss. Roberto Gagliardini once again made a huge mistake. A few matches ago, he missed a wide-open goal against Sassuolo from only a few feet away. In this one, he completely whiffed on the clearance that led to the Juada goal. As Alex put it, Christian Eriksen played like a corpse. He was lazy, frail, and did a great job of social distancing on the pitch. Rosevich was really good early on, but he tired out, which wasn't a shock considering this was his first game back from injury, but Conte should have replaced him sooner. Finally, Alex was critical of Lukaku for giving Lautaro the penalty. He gets that Lukaku is a nice guy and he's trying to restore the kid's confidence, but we saw him do this earlier in the season with Esposito. If you're up 3-0, fine, give him the penalty, but you're only up 1-0 and you have a mad advantage, you need to take that shot to put the game away. With the loss, Inter are now 11 points back of Juve and only one point clear of Atalanta in fourth place. Atalanta took on Cagliari. Gasparini started his B team in this one. Papu Gomez, Duvan Zapata, Josip Ilicic, Remo Freuler, Barat Jim City, and Pierluigi Golini all started on the bench. Giovanni Simeone thought he scored his fifth goal in five matches with a beautiful strike to the far post, but the goal was overturned after VAR determined Simeone handled the ball. In the 26th minute, 19-year-old Andrea Carboni was shown a second yellow for fouling Ruslan Malinowski in the box. He had picked up a yellow in the 5th minute, which was his third booking in three matches. I thought the second yellow was a little bit questionable. In real time, it looked like a push, but on the replay, I don't think there was much there. Luis Muriel stepped up and calmly placed his shot in the back of the goal. That was his 16th goal of the season and 6th from the penalty spot. Hatsabor nearly doubled Atalanta's lead in the 49th minute, but he was denied by the upright. Despite playing a man down for most of the match, Cagliari put up quite the fight. They gave everything they had and they managed to create a few opportunities, but only one of their shots hit the target. Atalanta looked more dangerous after they brought in Papu Gomez, Duvan Zapata, Josep Ilicic, Robin Gozins, and Rafael Toloi. Alessio Cranio made a couple of nice saves to keep Cagliari in it. This was a scrappy win for Atalanta, it wasn't pretty, but at the end of the day, they walked away with the three points while resting their regulars for most of the match. Napoli beat Roma 2-1, but we'll talk about that more in part three. Meanwhile, Verona were upset by Brescia 2-0. This was a battle between two clubs that were promoted from Serie B last season. Ironically, Brescia won Serie B last year and are in dead last while Verona finished 5th last year and earned promotion by winning the playoff, and they're competing for a Europa League spot. Brescia nearly opened the scoring in the 16th minute, Verona keeper Marco Silvestri fumbled what should have been an easy catch on a Tonali in-swinging free kick, and the ball landed for Torre Grossa, but he hit the upright. Brescia nearly scored on the ensuing corner kick, but Faraone cleared the ball off the line. At the end of the half, Birker Bjarnason went into a tackle on Marash Kumbula with his studs up, and considering some of the calls we've seen lately, this probably should have been a straight red card, but for some reason, no card was shown. Verona had a strong half, but did not take their opportunities when they presented themselves, and that proved to be costly. 
Brescia opened the scoring in the second half on a corner kick. 18-year-old Andrea Papetti, who only joined the senior team from Brescia's Primavera squad in March, headed in his first career Serie A goal. Papetti had an excellent match on the defensive side as well. In fact, the entire Brescia squad defended really well, including goalkeeper Jesse Jornin. A few minutes after Torre Grossa hit the woodwork for the second time in the match, Brescia put the match away in added time when Donnarumma scored his seventh goal of the season and his third in Brescia's last four matches. This was Diego Lopez's first win as Brescia coach, and with Lecce and Spal both losing and Genoa drawing Udinese, Brescia's hopes of surviving are still alive. After Milan defeated Lazio, Verona really needed the three points in this one, as they've got a difficult schedule ahead of them with matches against Inter, Fiorentina, Roma, Atalanta, and Lazio still to play. Fiorentina got a much-needed win against Parma, which was their first since Serie A restarted. This match was all about penalty kicks. Fiorentina nearly opened the scoring in the 12th minute on a stunning drive from Lorenzo Venuti that hit the bar. Venuti had a strong match. In the 18th minute, he drew a foul in the box to earn Fiorentina their first penalty kick of the match, which Eric Pulgar buried in the bottom corner to give Fiorentina a 1-0 lead. In the 31st minute, Fiorentina were awarded a second penalty kick after VAR determined that Matteo Darmian handled the ball in the box. Pulgar scored the exact same way as he did on the first penalty. Despite the good result, Fiorentina did pick up a couple of injuries in this match. Marco Benassi left the match just before the break with a calf injury. Frank Ribéry left the match in the 66th minute after Kurtic, while clearing the ball, kicked the same ankle that Ribéry had surgery on. It was a rough night for Ribéry. When he returned home from the match, he discovered that his home had been ransacked. Thankfully, his family was in Munich but his posts on social media suggest that he may not play in Italy for too long after this happened, which is really unfortunate. Parma were given their penalty kick early in the second half. Yuri Kuchka stepped up and picked the top corner to cut the lead in half. Parma made claims for a second penalty late in the match, but instead match official Rosario Abiso showed Kuchka a yellow card. Other than the penalties, not much else happened in this match. Fiorentina won 2-1 to get three much-needed points as they were dropping closer and closer to the relegation zone. At the bottom of the table, struggling Lecce took on a red-hot Sassuolo. Sassuolo have quickly become the second most entertaining team in Italian football behind Atalanta. They didn't take too long to score in this one. Locatelli picked out Ciccio Caputo, who controlled with his chest and popped the shot off the bounce over keeper Gabriel. Sassuolo were very much in control of the match, but Lecce managed to equalize in the 27th minute. Lecce captain Fabio Lucioni finished on a set piece from the corner kick. In the second half, the clubs exchanged penalty kicks, which Domenico Berardi and Marco Mancosu converted. Jeremy Boga put Sassuolo ahead in the 78th minute. He was really good in this match. It sometimes looked like the ball is on a string with him. The more I watch him play, the more I want him to be a Napoli player. In the 83rd minute, Mert Muldur put the game away, which finished 4-2 for Sassuolo. Sassuolo now have two wins and two draws since the restart, and the two draws felt like wins as Sassuolo leveled late in those matches against two strong clubs in Inter and Verona. During this run, they've accumulated 13 goals. It's been quite the opposite for Lecce, who have now lost six consecutive matches. Rounding out the week, Genoa drew Udinese 2-2, which we'll cover in Part 4, and Sampdoria defeated Spal 3-0 with goals from Manolo Gabbiadini and a brace from Carolinetti. Samp have now won back-to-back matches to pull away from the relegation zone just a little bit. So Brescia and Spal will most likely be relegated with 21 and 19 points respectively. Lecce are in the third relegation spot with 25 points, and Genoa are just barely safe on 27 points. Moving on to Serie B, round 32 was played on Friday. 
Second place, Crotone defeated first place, Benevento, which was not a big deal for Listragoni, but it was a huge win for Crotone, who now have a number of clubs hot on their tails. Cittadella lost 2-0 to Pisa, so Crotone have sole possession of second place on 55 points, while Cittadella are in third on 52 points. Pordenone defeated Perugia to hop over Spezia and tie Cittadella on 52 points. Spezia lost 2-1 to Frosinone, so with that win, Frosinone are now in fifth, and Spezia have dropped to sixth. Salernitana defeated Juve Stabia 2-1 to hop over Kevo, who dropped points drawing Intella 1-1. So with six matches remaining, Benevento are champions, Crotone are in the second promotion spot, and the clubs currently sitting in the promotion playoff, in order, are Pordenone, Cittadella, Frosinone, Spezia, Salernitana, and Kevo. Pisa are tied on points with Kevo by Kevo in the tiebreaker. Empoli are only one point back of them after they defeated Venezia 2-0. At the bottom of the table, Trapani defeated last place Livorno 2-1 to gain ground on Juve Stabia to avoid automatic relegation. Aspoli pulled level with Juve Stabia by beating Cosenza 1-0, and Cremonese stayed safe by defeating Pescara 1-0. So Livorno, Cosenza, and Trapani are currently sitting in the automatic relegation spots, while Juve Stabia and Aspoli are in the playout spots. In Serie the second round of the promotion playoff was played on Sunday. Group A, Novara automatically advanced after Pontedera withdrew and Alessandra defeated Siena 3-2. In Group B, Triestina defeated Sutrido 1-0 and Padova defeated Feralpisalo 1-0. And in Group C, Ternana drew Catania 1-1 and Potenza drew Catanzaro 1-1. So Ternana and Potenza advanced because they finished higher in the table. So Novara, Alessandria, Triestina, Padova, Ternana and Potenza all advanced to the quarterfinals where the tournament becomes national, meaning the matches are no longer played by region. They will join Juve's U23 team, who won the Serie C Coppa Italia, and Renate, Carpi, and Monopoli, who all got a bye to the quarterfinals for finishing third in their respective groups. Speaking of Juve's U23 squad, it sounds like Andrea Pirlo has decided to start a coaching career after reflecting on this for about a year and a half, and could be on the bench of Juve's second team, while Marco Storari could join him on the sporting side. So that'll do for part two. In part three, we'll review Napoli's win over Roma. Okay, so let's review Napoli's win against Roma. Rocky gets us underway. Mario Rui to fire it in. So close to an opening goal. Milik off the crossbar. Kaya Hon couldn't convert the rebound. But at halftime at the Stadio San Paolo, it's Napoli nil, Roma nil. We're just about ready to get the second half underway. It's a nicely flowing first half, but goalers, let's hope for more in this second. Let's hope it lives up to the history of this fixture. Here's Mario Rui. A little bit of time and space to pick out the cross. And Kaya Hon strikes. And Napoli lead. 
just about deserved right at the start of this second half. Yeah, Mkhitaryan. A couple of options for him here, but he's going to go on his own. Mkhitaryan! That's a glorious goal from Henrik Mkhitaryan. There's Dries Mertens. Well defended by Fazio and Insigne! Fans or no fans? He has the ability to do something so special and to raise the roof at the San Paolo. It's the Napoli boy and Insigne might just have won them. The biggest game in this region that's where he had to head but he's given it back to Roger Ibanez but Napoli have the win hard earned so as you heard Napoli won the derby 2-1 as usual let's start with the lineups Fonseca made a number of changes to the squad that started against Udinese in fact Chris Smalling was the only player to start in both matches and he only played 30 minutes before leaving with a muscle injury Federico Fazio replaced Smalling, which normally would be a downgrade, but Smalling actually struggled in his half hour of play. Fonseca also changed his formation from the 4-2-3-1 we've seen from Roma most of the season. He officially lined up in a 3-4-2-1, but it played more like a 3-5-2 with Davide Zapacosta and Leonardo Spinazzola playing as wingbacks. Gianluca Mancini lined up as a midfielder, but really he completed the back three with Chris Smalling and Roger Ibanez. Jordan Vertu and Lorenzo Pellegrini played as the holding midfielders, while Henrik Mkhitaryan played as the attacking midfielder. I thought Pellegrini was one of Roma's better players in this match. He had an excellent scoring opportunity in the first half, and he also did well to create chances for his teammates, but he was replaced by Brian Cristante after ignoring Fonseca's request that he cover Mario Rui, and we know this because we can hear everything the coaches are saying. Mkhitaryan showed how dangerous he can be in space, scoring Roma's equalizer, which we'll get to in a moment. Justin Kleiber played more like a second striker to add in Dzeko than as a midfielder, or at least that's what he was tasked to do. But in actuality, he was nearly non-existent in this one. His only real contribution was the run he made to stretch Napoli's defense on the Mkhitaryan goal. Kleiber was replaced by Nicolo Zaniolo, who made his much-anticipated return since rupturing his ACL. It was great to see Zaniolo healthy again, but I definitely did not want to see him return against Napoli. He looked very fit and very quick, but fortunately he did not do any damage. Finally, Paolo Lopez returned from his wrist injury to start in goal for Roma. Lopez made a number of important saves, which we'll cover over the course of this review. Despite Roma's recent struggles, this was a derby and Gattuso went with a lineup he would use against any top club in the league. David Ospina didn't make the 23-man roster after suffering a head injury against Atalanta, so Alex Meret started in goal. Other than the Mkhitaryan goal, Meret wasn't really tested. When Roma did create chances, they failed to hit the mark. There were some nervous moments in the first half where it just seemed like Meret and his backline were not on the same page, but they seemed to sort that out during the break. Costas Manolas returned at centre-back to play against his former club. He played alongside Kaladu Koulibaly, giving Nikola Maksimovic a rest. Manolas played 63 minutes before making way for Maksimovic. I thought he did just fine in his first match back. I wasn't expecting him to be fully fit. All you can really ask for was that he doesn't make any costly mistakes, which he did not. One thing I really like about Manolas is his decisiveness. If he's under pressure, he blasts the ball out, which is nice to see, especially after how Napoli conceded the first goal in the match against Atalanta in the previous round. 
He always seems well positioned to block shots as well. Koulibaly put in another solid performance. We've talked about the top players he's shut down since Serie resumed. It was Ed and Jekyll's turn in this one. In the second half, Koulibaly made tackles on Clivert and Zaniolo that were just pure class. I thought he was really hard done by by Gianluca Rocchi who showed Koulibaly a yellow in the 49th minute. So Koulibaly will miss Napoli's match against Genoa. This was not even a foul, let alone a yellow card. The challenge was perfectly timed. He got all ball, and Mkhitaryan just threw himself down to the ground. Even the commentators noted that eventually intelligent defenders like Koulibaly are going to change the way they play because of how the game is called nowadays. That said, Koulibaly probably should have been carded for a late tackle on Zabacosta in the first half. When you look at Napoli's upcoming matches, Genoa is probably the one I'd pick for Koulibaly to miss. The matches after that are against Milan, Bologna, Udinese, Parma, Sassuolo, Inter, and Lazio. The Udinese match is the only other one I'd pick for him to miss, and they're actually playing well right now. Mario Rui started at left back, where we were expecting to see LC Kusai. I'm not a huge Mario Rui fan, but I have to give him credit here. He was my man of the match. He played like a wing back, getting up and down the field. He made a number of excellent passes in this match. In the first half, he picked out Zielinski's run for one of Napoli's first chances of the match. He later played an excellent cross in for Milik, but his header hit the bar. In the second half, he played the cross in on the Callejon goal. And at 1-1, he nearly scored after playing a 1-2 with Zielinski, but Lopez made an excellent save. By contrast, Giovanni Di Lorenzo is a player I love, and he really struggled in this one. He could not seem to make a pass, and Zapacosta was a handful for him. In the midfield was Diego Deme, Piotr Zielinski, and Fabian Ruiz. This wasn't Deme's best performance either. He picked up a yellow card for a slide tackle on Mkhitaryan, so he too will miss the match against Genoa. By about the 50th minute, Deme looked pretty tired, which is likely why he was replaced by Stanislav Loboka, who's become very useful, especially with Alain not in the lineup. I thought Fabian looked better in this match than he did against Atalanta, especially in the attacking half. He had a few shots on target, but did fade in the second half. He was replaced by Elmas late in the match to bring in some fresh legs. Zielinski worked hard as he always does, but his finishing was poor. He did really well on his chance in the first half to control the pass from Mario Rui and to get the shot off, but he had a few other opportunities during the match that left more to be desired. Up front were Lorenzo Insigne, Arkadouj Milik, and Jose Callejon. Both Insigne and Callejon looked like previous versions of themselves from a few years ago, particularly on their goals. This was a vintage Callejon performance. He's most dangerous when he makes runs to the back post, which is exactly how he scored his goal. Callejon was replaced by Herving Lozano, who once again looked good. With the way he played and the comments Gattuso made after the match, I think we will be seeing more of Lozano. Insigne nearly scored in the second half. I don't know if he was trying to play across or to pick the top corner, but again, Paulo Lopez did well to keep it out. But Lopez was never going to touch the ball on Insigne's goal. Like Callejon, this was a trademark Insigne goal, a right-footed shot from the left side that curled around the keeper to find the back post. I loved the celebration after the goal. Insigne ran straight to Gattuso and they bumped chests. According to Opta Paolo, Insigne has scored or assisted on five of Napoli's last six goals against Roma. Milik had two excellent chances in the first half. The first was the one we mentioned on the Mario Rui cross that rocked the bar. Then near the end of the half, he got a chance where he slipped but managed to get back up and fired a powerful shot on target that Paolo Lopez did well to stop. He really didn't do much in the second half and was eventually replaced by Dries Mertens. Dries was very involved for the half hour or so that he was on the pitch. He forced an excellent save from Paolo Lopez as well in the 84th minute, which would have guaranteed Napoli the victory. 
In terms of the match, Napoli started out very strong. They controlled play and passed the ball beautifully. They really seemed aware of where each other were. We saw a chance by Fabian early in the match where Fabian dummied a pass from Zelinski because he knew Callejon was making a run on the wing. Then Callejon picked up Fabian's run which led to a scoring opportunity. It took Roma about 20 minutes to adjust to their new tactics, but once they did, they were able to create opportunities. The wingbacks started out playing much deeper, almost as if Roma had a back five, but when they pushed higher, the wingbacks created a lot of problems for Napoli. Roma easily could have scored in the first half had their finishing been better. The Giallorossi looked more dangerous on the counterattack and when they were given space to run into. Pellegrini had an excellent chance in the first half when he was allowed to run down the middle of the field, but his shot went wide of the goal. Mkhitaryan's goal came on the counterattack as well. Jekyll did really well to hold up and then to spot Mkhitaryan's run. I would have liked to see Napoli close him down sooner instead of giving him so much space to run into. And when you're up a goal, you really should not be getting caught out like that. At the same time, you have to tip your hat to Mkhitaryan for the finish. Finally, I was impressed that Napoli didn't really let the goal get to them, which for me can only be attributed to Gattuso. In just about every interview Gattuso does, he talks about two things, effort and mentality. With Ancelotti's Napoli, a lot of the same players would have put their heads down after the goal, and they possibly would have conceded a second, but not with Gattuso. They kept playing, they didn't panic, and who better to score the game winner than a Napolitan in Lorenzo Insigne. With the win, Napoli are now level with Roma on 48 points. So that's our review of Napoli-Roma. In part 4, we'll preview Napoli's next match against Genoa. Okay, so let's close the pod with a preview of Napoli's match on Wednesday against Genoa. As usual, we'll begin with a review of Genoa's most recent match, which was against Udinese. The first half of this one was rather uneventful. Genoa's only opportunity was in the opening minutes of the half. Iago Falcon nearly opened the scoring with a free kick up and over the wall, but one Musso came across to make an excellent save. Udinese had two chances in the half. In the 28th minute, Mattia Perin made a fine save on in-form Kevin Lasagna. On their second chance of the half, which was just before the break, Udinese opened the scoring. Udinese defender Samir appeared to foul Iago Falque prior to the clearance, but the call wasn't given. Udinese worked the ball up the pitch, where Rodrigo De Paul eventually played in across to Seco Fofana, who finished with a header to the far post. The second half was far more eventful. Udinese doubled their lead in the 73rd minute on a screamer by Kevin Lasagna, who scored his fourth goal in his last three matches. It looked like Udinese were going to coast to their second consecutive win, but in the 81st minute, the ageless Goran Pandev pulled one back really out of the blue. Genoa had nothing going for them at that point in the match, but the goal injected some life into the Rosso Blue squad. Then in the final minute of added time, VAR determined that Davide Biraski was fouled in the box and awarded Genoa a penalty kick. 
Musso stopped Pinamonti's shot, but he scored on the rebound. This was a huge point for Genoa, who are now only two points clear of Lecce in the final relegation spot, and would have been only one point clear had they lost this match. The key takeaway for me from this match is you can never really count Genoa out of it. You need to play the full 90. Gattuso talks about players' mentality and taking every match seriously. It will be important that Napoli avoid looking past this match to the one against Milan on the weekend and that they focus on this match first. I think Napoli will benefit from having players like Lozano, Elmas, and Lobotka in the squad because they all have something to prove and will not take this match lightly. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Napoli have one of the deepest squads in the league. Koulibaly is out due to suspension, so Maksimovic slides in, and though he's no Koulibaly, no one is really. Maksimovic is an excellent center back. Similarly, with Demme suspended, Lobotka slides in, and though he's not the same type of player as Demme, he is more than capable of playing as a starter, and I think with the increase in playing time lately, he does appear to be getting more comfortable with his teammates and playing in Gattuso's system. If Alain is available, then he will provide another option, either as a starter or off the bench. Napoli's backups can handle this Genoa squad, who are really unimpressive in that Udinese match. Genoa have really struggled since play resumed, collecting only two points in four matches. They lost to Juventus and Parma, which is understandable, but only managed draws against Brescia and Udinese. The last time these two clubs met was back in September. Interestingly, heading into that match, Napoli were in 7th and Genoa were in 17th, which is not far off from where these clubs sit now. Napoli are now tied in 5th, while Genoa are still in 17th. That match finished 0-0, but like the other previews we've done, I don't put too much stock into any pre-Gattuso match. I will be keeping an eye on two Genoa players who have been linked to Napoli in Adama Sumauro and Christian Romero. Genoa are only two points clear of Lecce for that final relegation spot, so every match is important for them. I would have expected Genoa to rest their starters in this match. Their next four matches are against Spal, Torino, Lecce, and Sampdoria, who are all clubs fighting for survival. However, Genoa rested their starters in the match against Udinese, so presumably they will go after points against Napoli. So on that note, let's get to the starting lineups. Genoa typically set up in a 3-5-2 formation with Mattia Perin in goal. Andrea Maziello, Adama Sumauro, and Christian Romero are Genoa's regular back three. Romero and Sumauro each played only one half against Udinese, so I expect them to start at left and right back respectively. Maziello has played in the full 90 in back-to-back matches, so I wouldn't be too shocked to see one of Christian Zabata or Eduardo Goldanigas to start over Maziello. In the midfield, I think we'll see Domenico Criscito at left wing back and Davide Biraski at right wing back. In the middle, Valon Barami has started three consecutive matches, so I think he will be rested. I expect to see Stefano Sturaro, Lassi Scone, and Francesco Cassata get the nod. And up top, I think we'll see Antonio Sanabria and Andrea Pinamonti. I think Gattuso will rely heavily on his bench, knowing that he will want his first choice players ready for the following match against his former club on Sunday. David Ospina does not appear ready, so Alex Meret will get another starting goal. At the back, I think we'll see Kusai give Mario Rui a rest, while I expect Di Lorenzo to get another start so he can get back on track. Kulibali is suspended for this match, so we should see a rested Maksimovic start in his place, and Manolas will get his second start since returning from injury. In the midfield, Diego Deme is suspended as well, so Loboka will start as the regista. Almas will likely give either Zielinski or Fabian a rest. Fabian has played nearly 90 minutes in three consecutive matches, while Zielinski has played the full 90 in his last two, so I'm leaning towards Zielinski being the third midfielder. Alain didn't make the 23-man roster for the Roma match, so I think there's only an outside chance that he starts over Zielinski. 
Up top, I think we're finally going to see Irving Lozano get a start at left wing. Insignia has started in all six of Napoli's matches since Italian football has resumed. At the very least, I think if Insignia starts, he'll be taken out fairly early and replaced by Lozano. Mertens and Milik have alternated starts, which means Mertens will start this one. Similar, Calihon and Politano have alternated starts, so Politano should start as well. In terms of the betting odds, Napoli are nearly 1-2 to two favorites, while Genoa pay 4.75-1, to one, and the draw pays 3-1. to one. So for my prediction, I'm going to take Napoli to win 2-0 on goals from Mertens and Lozano. I think Napoli are going to dominate possession in this match. Unlike Udinese, I don't think Napoli are going to let Genoa get back into it. Pinamonti and Sanabria are excellent young strikers, but I think even without Koulibaly, they will be frustrated by Napoli's big center backs and by a lack of service from the Genoa midfield. So that's my preview of Napoli versus Genoa. That will also do it for episode 24. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends, give us a 5-star rating, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast at Fortsanopoly Pod. We'll talk to you again after the Genoa match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortsanopoly Center. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.